and I'm thankful again to be here. It's been a blessing. I enjoyed the fellowship today and appreciate all of you and definitely, uh, definitely love this church here in Lakemore, Ohio, not Hartville where I went this morning, Lakemore. And, uh, but anyway, I didn't introduce my daughters this morning, so I've got Chloe with me, Allie and Lana. I'd like to have brought the whole family, but we've got a two month old and it's not real fun traveling with the little baby. And then, you know, my boys have jobs and things. You got it. When you get to where you have older kids too, it starts getting hard just traveling. You know, we used to just tell the kids get in the car, but now everybody's got responsibilities and things. And some of y'all know how that is, but I'm definitely thankful I was able to come out here and bring the girls with me. We've been having a good time. But uh, Jeremiah 6.16 tonight, this is a very well-known verse. If you've ever been to an IFB camp meeting, preacher's conference, old paths conference, you heard this verse used more than once. And it says, thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. So this verse we just read, again, probably one of the most commonly used verses in the IFB world, especially when Baptists get together, and anything that we don't like that's going on in the Baptist world, any trends that are popping up that we don't like, we've always got Jeremiah 6.16 we can use to condemn whatever we don't like. And so, you know, when these guys get together and, you know, these skinny jean churches come together, pastors, and they have their idea days and stuff where they figure out how they can be a little more hip and trendy and appealing to the world, whatever they come up with, we can stand up against it. It's like, you know what, I'm asking for the old paths, where it is the good way. And we can reject it, we can condemn anything that we don't like and of course you know that and, and you know we do that all the time and then the trendies of course they like to ask well what are the old paths you know what are the old paths just how old are the old paths you know are we talking about the 1970s i mean is that what jeremiah was talking about in chapter 6 verse 16 was he talking about hey what y'all need to get back to doing is preaching like they did back in in the 1970s but wait a minute this was a long time before the 1970s wasn't it and usually, uh, and folks, I'm not exaggerating. I love going to meetings and conferences. I've been doing it my whole life. Anytime a preacher gets up and he preaches out of Jeremiah 6.16, I'm going to hear him start talking about the 70s. I, it, it happens everywhere I go. They start name dropping all the greats. You know, Dr. Jack Kyle, Brother Tom Malone. These guys would be rolling over in their graves if they could see what's going on in these churches today. Well, the list to roll off. These men's men. They see these effeminate-looking dudes out there, their pink shirts and you know yellow ties and all of them, you know just whatever, you know they, whatever they don't like. They got their little floppy hair going all over the place. Man, these guys they they roll over their grave. We need to ask for the old paths. But you know, there's a group like that back in Jeremiah's day said we will not walk therein. I'm sorry if I talk with a southern accent when I do this stuff. I can't help it, but. Uh, and the thing is, too, in the IFB world, you can sanctify anything if you add old time or old timey. I like them old hymns. Y'all got them soul-stirring songs and hymns, man. That's, that's what they sang in Jesus' day. You know, that's what, you know, the, you know or it's the, uh, if you're down south, it's the old red back hymn book, the Church of God hymn book. That's the one they talk about there. At our church, we have Bible truth hymns. Um, I personally like those better. But uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a little new paths in me. No, no, they're they're they're, they're all. It's okay. They're all old timey. Hey, I'm okay for new songs as long as they're old timey. 
Amen. I mean, that, that's, that's how we can sanctify everything. Hey, is, is this foreign to anybody? Or has anybody heard this? Am I the only one that's ever heard this stuff? All right. All right. Maybe you're not hanging around some of the same circles I am. But I, I, I just uh, recently I saw a clip of a, a very prominent Old Paz preacher who said, if you don't have enough sense to know what the Old Paz are, don't text me and ask me. Don't Twitter me and ask me what are the Old Paz if you don't have enough sense to read the Bible. And so here's the thing. What are the old paths? Because when they talk about old paths, again, it's, it's name dropping. They're talking about preachers that weren't alive in Jeremiah's day. They're talking about practices. I mean, you know, one thing that's old paths, because what, what are some things that are old paths? Somebody help me out. Y'all know what the old paths are here? Or is this one of these new path churches? All right, y'all use the King James Bible around here? Man, that's the same Bible my daddy used, my granddaddy used. It's one that brought revival to this nation. Uh, that's old past. Okay. Now, folks, I'm not making fun. Here's let me just say this ahead before anybody gets nervous. I'm old past, all right? I am culturally old past. Okay. Well, you know, we don't have the screens up in our church. We ain't got no purple lights in our church. We got regular lights in our church. You know, we uh, you know, we've got we you know, we sing the old hymns. I still wear a suit and tie. You know, traditionally, culturally. We are old paths. You know, church buses are considered old paths. But is that is that what Jeremiah was talking about? Was he talking about church buses? Is that is that what it was? You know, what what exactly are these things? You know, hard preaching, dress standards. Those are old paths. You know the uh, you know and many many things. And you know, again, anytime a preacher gets up and he starts preaching on the old paths, I'm probably going to agree with 95% of his sermon, maybe 100%. Because I, I am. I'm an old Paz guy. But here's, so the thing is, you know, is it right for me to just go to Jeremiah 6.16 to just, you know, condemn everything I don't like? You know, I because here's what they're doing. This is what you need to understand. They're using Jeremiah 6.16 as a principle to follow. That's okay. okay. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to follow it as a principle, but here's the question I want to ask you all, okay? What does Jeremiah 6.16 mean? Because I know what these preachers mean when they say it. I think my church knows what I mean when I say we're going to walk the old paths. But what did Jeremiah say? Shouldn't we be able to answer that question? I mean, the trendies have been asking this question for a long time, and it's like nobody wants to give an answer. But I believe that there is an answer. I believe it's a very good answer, and it's what I really want to preach about tonight because this old paths principle that they preach that is okay is let's get back to a path that's been tried and tested. Let's do things that have been proved. Some, let's use something that's been used over and over again. The old path, that's a path that we are familiar with. This is something that we, we know where it leads. We know what it's like. We know the twists and turns. We know where it is going to lead us. And so that is a, a principle that we can apply from this. And so when it comes to how we run our churches, you know, you've got these guys that are coming along with all these new trends and doing all these weird things. And you know what? I can't show you a Bible verse that says thou shalt not have purple lights. I can't show you a verse that says anything like that. But at the same time, I'm seeing this path that they're going on and I'm seeing all the, you know, the purple lights seems to be uh, come right before the contemporary music. And I can't show you a verse that says certain beats are, you know, ungodly and unbiblical. I can't do that. But then when they bring that music in, 
All of a sudden, I see the dress standards go out the window. All of a sudden, I see the King James Bible go out the window. And before you know it, it doesn't even resemble a church. And so I'm looking at this path that they're on, and I'm saying, I don't know for sure where this leads, or sometimes I do know where it leads, and I don't want to go there. And so, you know what? I'm going to go to the old paths. This is something that has been tried and tested. We know where it's going. And so that's what pe preachers are preaching. So I'm, I don't want to just get up here and make fun of preachers that preach it this way. I think it's okay to do that. I think that's fine. But I want to know what Jeremiah was talking about. Because that's the. I want to know the direct application for this verse right here, especially if we're going to use it all the time. I mean, is it, shouldn't we as preachers, if we are going to use a principle from a verse in the Bible, shouldn't we know exactly what that verse is talking about? Because wouldn't that help us avoid taking things out of context too? Because a lot of times it's like people just go on eSword and they search for a phrase that sounds like something they want to preach. You know, and, and, I've, and I've heard crazy things done and, and I've done it myself. I, I learn from watching other people do dumb stuff and I was like, yeah, you know, I've done that before too. I need to quit doing that. But it's like they just take a statement from the Bible and then they use it as a springboard to talk about whatever they want. And I've been to meetings where Jeremiah 616 is literally the only verse that they will even go to in an entire sermon. And all they do is talk about the seventies. And frankly, it just, it kind of gets old. And so, um, I want us to look at the, what Jeremiah was talking about. Let's go to, I want to know the direct application. I don't want to just use it as principle. So the book of Jeremiah it was written, we need to remember, it was written during a time when Judah is in captivity, but things were about to get worse. The temple hadn't been destroyed just yet. They all hadn't been carried away, but they're, they're under siege. A lot of bad things is going on. Jeremiah is warning them. Jeremiah prophesies of these coming destruction. He also tells them why judgment is coming in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the key books of the Bible when it comes to just prophecy in the Old Testament about things to come. He's constantly calling them to repentance. And you know what? They never did come to repentance. In fact, one of the things you see, we all know verse 30, where it says reprobate silver shall men call, call them because the Lord hath rejected them. This generation was considered reprobate, not so much in the sense of nobody in that generation was saved, but in the sense that this judgment that's coming, there's no place of repentance for you. This isn't going to be like Nineveh where you're going to find a place of repentance, you're going to get right, and then the judgment's not going to come. No, this 70-year captivity that's being prophesied, it's coming, and you're not getting out of it. You can do whatever you want. You're not getting out of it, and that's why he said that there. So all these things are going on in the book of Jeremiah. There's many specific sins that are mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. We don't have time to preach this whole book or even these six chapters there's many specific sins that they had wrong. You know, one of the main ones that's mentioned too is not letting the land rest. They were supposed to let the land rest every seven years. And they didn't do that for all those years they've been in the land. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to let the land rest for 70 years because that's how many of those they missed. So that, you know, that was one of the sins. But here's the thing. All of Israel's problems that they had that got them brought under judgment really all came down to one thing. Okay? And so let's look at a few passages before we get to Jeremiah 6 to kind of give us some context of what's going on that I believe 
Jeremiah is actually calling for them to go back to. Because again, if I went to Pastor Twinkletoe's church with his pink shirt and skinny jeans, and I said, it's time to get back to the old paths, you know what I'm calling him to do? I'm, I'm, I'm calling on him to put on a suit and tie and some big boy britches. I'm calling on him to get rid of his purple lights and get some regular lights. I'm calling on him to get rid of his CCM music and to get some you know old hymns. I'm calling on him to get rid of his NIV and to get a King James. That's what I'm doing if I call somebody to go back to the old past today. Okay? But what was Jeremiah calling on these people to do? That's what I want to know and what I want to talk about. So look, look at verse 1 of Jeremiah 2. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not so. God's remembering back. God's thinking back to better days, which is what the old past preachers do. I remember back when we used to have large groups come out for souling. I remember when Wednesday nights were full. I remember when and they'll talk about all those things. That's what God's doing right here. But notice what he's saying. I remember thee, the kindness of thy, the love of thine espousals. When you, were going into a, when you were going into a land that wasn't sown, boy, the way you were then, the love you had for me, I remember that. That was good. Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, that they have walked after vanity, and are become vain. Now, here's, here's the thing. When in Israel's history were they holiness to the Lord? When in their history were they just doing everything right? I mean, it seems like everything we read about, it was pretty bad most of the time. I mean, even in the times where we were good, I mean, I can't really think of a time when everything seemed to just be great and hunky-dory, but yet it seems like God's remembering a time. What's going on here? And we don't have time, but if we went through ch in chapter 3, well, we'll read a few verses in here. Verse 1 says, They say, If a man put away his wife, and she go from him, <clears throat> and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. And he goes on, and he's talking about how you all were turned away from me and you had other lovers. You had other gods that you were loving instead of loving me. I was the one that brought you up out of Egypt. I espouse you to me and yet there you go a whoring after other lovers. So it looks like part of their problem that they had later is that they lost their love for God. It seems like in the beginning they had a great love for God. And I believe that's why God saw them as holy because understand those sacrifices and things that they did, those things, you know, were a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do. And you know what God would do back then? God would forgive their sins. They got forgiveness of sins even back then. And you know, God remembered a time when they loved him. When even though they messed up, even though they didn't have it all together, they were trying, they loved God and God appreciated that. And you know what? That's what God wants from us. We all in here today, we know we're not holy, but hopefully your heart's in the right place. Hopefully you have a love for God. And so we see in chapter six or in chapter four, look at chapter four, verse one. <clears throat> it says, if thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, 
return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abomination out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And then in verse 4, it says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskin of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of their doing. So notice he's calling on them to get come back to God and to get their hearts right. But one of the things they've been doing, they've been following after vanity. And, you know, he's telling them to circumcise their hearts. You know why? Because these people, they, had, they were circumcising their flesh, but they were, it was just a custom to them. It wasn't, they no longer were doing it out of love for God. They were doing it because this is just what Jews do. And God says, you know what? I want your hearts right. Great. You did the work. You did the outward thing, but I want your heart in the right place too. And you know, and so one of the things we've got to understand, we can be doing all the right things on the outward, but if our hearts aren't in the right place, God's not pleased. All, all the things we're supposed to be doing as Christians is supposed to be done from love. We should be loving God. So when we get to chapter six, the prophet is calling on them to see what is happening, to see what is coming. He's calling on them to repent and to get back to the way things used to be. So we don't have time to read all the six chapters. I encourage you to do that sometime. But the one thing I think we can, we've can we clearly established is that Israel's real problem was that they didn't love God the way they used to. That's all there is to it. Yes, you can show a lot of specific things but the reason they didn't do those things is because they didn't love God. That was the problem. And the truth is, if you don't love God, you're going to have a lot of problems. If you do love God, you're going to keep his commandments. I mean, loving the Lord and loving your neighbor on these two things hang all along the prophets. So if you're loving God, you're going to be being obedient to God. If you are not loving God, you are not going to be obedient to God so at the end of the day, what it comes down to, if you're having major trouble with sin in your life, you know what your real problem is? The root problem is you just don't love God enough. And you know what? I believe when Jeremiah was talking about getting back to the old paths, I believe he's talking about getting back to that first commandment of loving God. He said, I want you to get back to where you love me again. Great. I'm glad you're doing the circumcision, but you're doing it. In a, in, a, in a carnal way, you're doing it. You're just getting puffed up by it. You're thinking you're better than everybody else because you're doing this thing. I want you to get back to doing it because you love me. Yeah, you're doing all these sacrifices. Yeah, you've got all these things you wear. You've got all these things you do. You've got all this food that you won't eat. But it's not about me anymore. It's about you. And isn't that the problem that we had in Jesus' day? The Jews, they were all about the Jews. Hey, we're the Jews. We do all the washing. We don't eat this. We don't eat that. We follow all these laws. We're the children of Abraham. But you know what? These people's hearts were far from God. They didn't love God. And you know what? Did Jesus accept them? No, he didn't. He didn't accept that. He rebuked them because they were still sinful. They were still dirty. And the truth is, you had people who were dirty, more dirty than the Pharisees, outwardly speaking. But you know what they did? They loved Jesus. And we see Jesus accepting them. And I believe, I think it's very clear in Jeremiah 6.16, when he's talking about getting back to the old paths, he's not calling on preachers to get rid of their skinny jeans. He's calling on the Jews to get back to loving God. That's what you need to get back to doing. You need to get back to loving God. You need to get back to doing your, your motivation being loving God, not just trying to puff yourself up. And so 
some proof I think that's what it is. First off, how about the first of the Ten Commandments? Look what it says in Exodus chapter 20. We all know, we all know the Ten Commandments. Look at the very first commandment. It says in verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know what it looks like? It looks like God wants to be first. That's what it looks like. That's the very first commandment. If we don't keep that first commandment, we are in danger of forgetting why we do what we do. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We know when Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? It's thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If it's the first, that would make it the oldest too, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I don't think you can get any more old paths than just loving God. Look what it says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Now look at this. Right after he gives that greatest commandment, he says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And he goes on and on, naming all these things. I want you to put them as frontless between your eyes. God's saying, I want these words to be in your heart. I don't want it to just be written on some stone somewhere or in some book somewhere that somebody's got to come along and make you do it. I want it to be in your heart. I want you to do it because you love me. And that's the way it ought to be. That's what God wanted. And God warns them. He goes on and he warns them in here about, he said uh, in verse uh, 10, the reason they're supposed to have these things in their heart is because it says, it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, wells dig, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He told them, if you don't talk about these things, if it's not your heart, you're going to forget God. And the thing is, it's, it's very clear with the Jews, for the most part, a lot of their ceremonial things, they held on to these things. But again, it was about the Jews. It wasn't about God. And that was not right. That was not what God wanted. And God wanted them going back to the way it used to be. And back in the past, they weren't perfect in their keeping of the law. They had a lot of problems. They messed up a lot. But you know what? That previous generation, they loved the Lord. And you know what? God was, God was pleased with that. God was pleased with them. And so the truth is, if we don't keep the first commandment, we're in danger of forgetting why we do what we do. And many people, I think they have forgotten why they go soul winning. You know, and you know, there's a lot of people out there that go soul winning because that's just what we do, right? I mean, 
we're a soul winning church. It's just the culture of this church. It's what we do. But you know what? There's a lot of people out there. They're kind of like the Jews that they constantly use the fact that they go soul winning as like a way to lift themselves up. And you can't criticize anything I do because I'm a soul winner. You sound like a Jew. Who thinks because you are children of Abraham, because you've been circumcised, because you keep this law or that law, you're all good. But let me ask you, what is your motivation for soul winning? Some people go soul winning to impress the brethren. Some people go soul winning just to fit in. You know what God wants? God wants somebody to go soul winning because they love the Lord. That's, that's the real reason you ought to go. I mean, yeah, we ought to love the lost too. You know, and I do. Sometimes my motivation is I want to encourage other people. But you know what? I don't ever want to forget why we really do these things. We, and I, I want to get back, I, you know, we ought to want to get back to the old paths, doing it out of love for God. And many people forget. Many people, they forget why they are supposed to be separated. That's why separation has gone by the wayside in a lot of churches today, because people have forgotten why. You know why? Because we're not in love with God like we used to be. There was a time when people were in love with God, and therefore, you know, they... They just naturally did these things, even, and even if they didn't do it the best. Again, you know, a lot of times our generation that's learned a few things, you know, there's a few things that we know that maybe the previous generation didn't know so well, but we look back and we see how much God blessed that previous generation. Like, how could God have blessed, you know, how did God bless John R. Rice's ministry when the guy wasn't King James only? You know, how is that, how is that possible? How, how did God bless some of these guys, you know, back in the day who didn't have the eschatology, right? How did God bless some of these people who maybe, maybe weren't even Baptists? How is, how is that even possible? I mean, some of the things that we all know probably aren't best. They were doing these things, yet God blessed them. Why is that? You know what? Maybe it's because these people just love God a lot. Maybe that's why. Because they just love God a lot. And so they... God did great things through him anyway. And see, because when we stop loving God, we automatically just start loving the world. You're going to love something. And we all know 1 John 2.15, you know, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What God has always desired from Israel, what God has always desired, you know, it, it was never, it was not as much, or what God was looking for with Israel when God gave them all those laws God wasn't so much looking for a people whose bodies hadn't been defiled with pork. You know, because why did God give those dietary laws? I mean, does God like people who don't eat pork better? I hope not. You know, <laughs> I hope not. You know, what, so it's like, why did he even do that? You know, why would God do something like that? But you know what? God was looking for a people who loved him for all that he had done for them. That's what God was looking for. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 14. It says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. God picked you, is what he said. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger and giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, 
him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name, he is thy praise. He is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. So right there, God is showing, I, I chose you, I picked you, I, I did all these things for you, and you know what God wanted back from them? God, again, God wasn't impressed with their flesh. You know, the fact that they were circumcised, the fact they didn't eat pork, the fact that they dressed a certain way, that is not what made God love these people so much. God loved them for their love. That was what God was looking for. God was looking for a people who loved him. That's what makes the difference. And often we get real caught up in our Baptistness, if that's a word. Look at how Baptist I am. Look at, you know, look at how I'm dressed. Look at my haircut. Look at my works. Look at my doctrine. I got a King James Bible. I was out sowing this afternoon. I mean, I, I've done this. I've done that. I pray this much. We say all these things about ourselves as if that's what makes God impressed with us. But you know, the truth is, big deal if I do all these things. I was raised this way. You know, I think God expects a lot of these things from me and probably a whole lot more. But you know, there's other people out there who weren't raised the way I was, who haven't been taught the things that I've been taught, but the little they have got, you know what? They followed it and they're doing the best they can and they love God with all their heart. And you know what? I believe God loves that person. God is pleased with that person and God can use that person. Even though they haven't got my baptistness. They're not as baptistic as I am. They don't look old paths. They ain't very old timey. But boy, do they love the Lord. And now, listen, I believe if they continue loving the Lord and God and God continues teaching them and they continue learning, I believe eventually they'll be old-timey like the rest of us. But in the meantime, if they're not there yet, you know what? God can still love them. God can still use them. And you know what? God is. God is. And so I believe, you know, that's an example. Uh, just the fact that it's the first of the Ten Commandments, loving God. We see in Matthew 22, and verse 35 through 40, we refer to this when the man comes to Jesus asking, you know, what is the first and greatest commandment? Jesus goes back to loving the Lord. On these two things, we're not going to take time to go there. And so if this is the first, that would make it the oldest. Okay, and so loving God is an older rule and an older law than, you know, wearing a suit and tie behind the pulpit. That's an older, that's an older law than a pulpit of wood. Hey man, y'all got a pulpit of wood here. Glad I ain't behind a lectern. I'm glad I ain't standing behind a bistro table. Glad I ain't standing behind a glass pulpit. I'm glad you got a pulpit of wood like a man. Hey man, Ezra stood on a pulpit of wood. That's old pass. And that is, culturally, that's old pass. But is that Jeremiah 6.16 old pass? No, no, that, that, that's, that's not it at all. And you know, the truth is, I think it's possible for a guy to be behind a bistro table and love the Lord. And I think it's possible for a guy to be behind a pulpit of wood and not love the Lord. And you know what? I hate to tell you this, Pharisees, but God's going to be more pleased with the guy at the bistro table who loves him. So some people, that's all they know. Some people, that's all they've been, you know, that, that's all they've been around. And so we can't, you know, we, we, we can't be too rough on them. So if this is the greatest commandment, loving God is the greatest commandment, that makes it the most important. And the commandments of God they are, they are holy, and while we are not holy, while we come short of God's glory, God can still love us. He can still have a relationship with us. 
thanks to Jesus Christ and our feeble attempt to keep his commandments. You know what else it is? It's supposed, this is all it's supposed to be. Our feeble attempt at walking the old paths. Our feeble attempt at keeping the commandments of God. You know what it is? That's our way of showing God we love him. That's all there is to it. Why do you read those Old Testament laws? We're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, you know what? Maybe it's because I want to find out a little bit more about what God loves and about what God hates so I know how to please him. You know, I mean, ladies, you would like that. You know, if your husband, you know, he's he wants to know your likes and dislikes. And it's like, well, you know, if, if your husband's always doing all these things that you hate and he's just constantly, well, you know, you said in your vows for better, for worse. So you know what? Yeah, this is worse. You, you vowed. You're stuck with me. And you know what? Technically, you're stuck, right? But boy, won't it help the relationship a little bit if he's like, you know what? I know you don't like it. I'm not going to do that. You know, I know, you know, yes, you don't think it's a compliment if I do, a, you know, a loud belch after the meal. I know, you, I mean, you know, guys, we all want to do that. But, you know, uh, your wife probably hates it. And if she does, you know. Well, oh, you're, you're, you're a legalist. You're just doing that so she'll stay married to you. Well, I hope not. That's not the reason. But you know what? Actually, I'm doing it because I love my wife. That's why. And that's what these people do. We go and we read the Old Testament. It's like, you know what, man? God, he didn't seem like he liked the homos too much. I don't think he likes homos. I don't think we want to be a homo. I don't think we want to be like the homos. Oh, that's Old Testament. You're a legalist. Well, I'm not trying to not be a homo, so I'll go to heaven. All right, but there's a lot of reasons I, I, I'm not trying to be a homo. But at the same time, I don't even want to dress like a homo, not so God will let me into heaven. You know what? God stuck with me because he saved me. But you know what? I love him. If he's not pleased with that junk, I don't want to do it. I don't think God, I mean, God seemed like he didn't, when I'm reading that Old Testament, God seemed like he thought cross-dressing was an abomination. That's what, that's what it seems like when I'm reading the Old Testament. And I can't see where God all of a sudden got to where he didn't mind cross-dressing so much. Oh, you're a legalist. Hey, I'm not trying to dress like a man so I'll go to heaven. I'm dressing like a man because I love the Lord and I believe that's what he wants me to do. I believe that pleases him. That's why I'm doing these things. But these are the things that they always want to throw at you. It does say in John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. It says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So, you know what? I, you know, it looks to me like old paths. It's just, it's loving God. That's what it is. It's loving God. I think we see another example of this in Revelation chapter 2. Go ahead and turn over to Revelation Chapter 2. It says in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. It sounds like this church was doing the work. It said, I know thy works. I know your labor. It, it sounds like this church was all about right doctrine. You know why? They hated they hated false doctrine. They they called these people out. So it has born and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and not fainted. It sounds like they were working hard. They were enduring and they were not fainting. 
But then it says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast left thy first love. You know what the problem was? They got to the point, like Israel, where they were doing the right things, many of them, but they were doing for the wrong reason. It was not a love anymore. You know, that's why some of the, you know some of the best soul winners in the world are often new Christians. I don't know if you all have noticed that. I've noticed that a lot in my ministry. When people get saved, they're just really good at just bringing people to Christ and even getting them in church. Why is that? You know why? Because these people, they get saved and they're just in love with the Lord. I mean, the Lord has saved them. He's changing their life and they are in love with the Lord. And men are they effective. And they haven't even gone to all the classes and things that a lot of us have and had a lot of the training that we've had. But these people just have a love for God and they just somehow get the job done in their own clumsy way. What, what's going on there? But then you've got other people, they've got their methodology down just right, but yet they're not that effective. You know why? Because of the fact they, they lost that love. That love for God, that's the most important thing. He said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. You know what I think John's saying here in Revelation? He's saying get back to the old paths is what he's saying. He's saying repent Get back and do the first works. What were the first? He said, you left your first love. And so I believe a lot of the works, they were doing them, but they weren't doing them for the right reason. They didn't have the right motivation anymore. And this is what God wanted. So the works mean nothing if we don't love God. Outward appearance, it means nothing if we don't love God. And I do, I believe that God did great things in the previous generation. I think you can find a lot of faults with some of the stuff that went on in the IFB world in the 70s. But you know what? I can also say God did a lot of great things during that time too. You know why? Because those people love the Lord. That's all there is to it. You know, my dad, he came from a Southern Baptist background. He was originally ordained Southern Baptist and he came out of it, I think, in the early 80s. And, but you know what? Even during that time, when and he'll be the first one to tell you early in his ministry, he had a lot of stuff wrong. But you know what? God still used him during that time. Great things took place during that time. You know why? Because he loved the Lord. And when he learned the truth, he got right on those things. You know, my, my his uncle, my great uncle, uh, was a Southern Baptist pastor. And he was pretty liberal in a lot of ways and had a lot. There was a lot of things about his ministry that you and I, we would look back on that and say, you know what? He was wrong there. He was wrong there. He was wrong there. But even during that time when he was wrong on a lot of things, he was doing a lot of great things for God. A lot of great things happened. You know why? Because he loved the Lord. And, you know, because he loved the Lord, when a preacher came along and set him straight on some things and showed him from the Bible, hey, here's some things you got wrong. Here's some things you need to change. You know what he eventually did? He changed. He got those things right. And he ended up becoming an independent fundamental Baptist. And, you know, the truth is, sometimes we're, like, so anxious to just go cream somebody who doesn't have some outward thing right. That we, and, and sometimes these are people that love the Lord. We end up doing more damage than anything. And you know what we ought to do? And I've been there before where I've been convicted by people who had a lot of things wrong, but boy, they had a great love for God. And it's like, you know what? I should have a greater love for God than they do. I know better. God's done more. God's shown me more. And unfortunately, we just end up getting as independent fundamental Baptists sometimes. We start getting the Pharisee attitude. We start thinking, you know what? We're a great church because we got the best doctrinal statement. We're a great church because we got the soul winning. 
We got the old paths. We got the wooden pulpit. We got all these things down, but we don't have love for God like we're supposed to have. And you know what? God's not pleased. God is not pleased in that situation. And we've got to get these things right. Let's keep calling out the junk. Let's keep trying to perfect our doctrine. Let's try to keep the, get the right things in our services, the wrong things out of our services. Let's keep on working on those things. If God reveals something to us, man, let's, let's eat it up. Let's get all over it. But at the same time, we can't stop loving God. We can't make it all about the outward things. We can't make it all about getting rid of certain music and bringing in the right music. If we, if we don't have love for God, we're not going to get any of these things right. So you can, because you can find fault. You can find a fault in any man, in any pastor. You can find some fault in any method. There is no church that has perfect methods. There is no church that does everything right. But God can use flawed people who are surrendered to him and who love him. And I am, I'm amazed at some of the people that God has used historically, people I've seen God use in my own life. I'm amazed at the people God used in the Bible. Why did God use people like that? You know why? Because these people love God. That's, that's all there is to it. And so let's keep working on the methods. Let's do things as right as possible. But at the end of the day, what's going to make the difference, what's going to make the difference is a heart of love for God. If you all the glass pulpit in here, you just switching it to a wooden pulpit is not going to all of a sudden make you a better church. Okay? It's a step in the right direction. Right? But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the changing heart. It's, it's the heart that's going to make the difference. And I am, I'm afraid in the IFB that there has been an unhealthy focus that's been put on old methods and even the cultural things when in reality what we need to get back to is our love for God. And, you know, and so in the old past crowd, there's, it's, I, and I've been watching this my whole life. Okay? I've seen this my entire life. Every conference you go to, it's like a contest of who's the most old pads. It's like we're going to see if we can't out old pads each other. And, you know, you go to one, and I do. I know, I know preachers, they're always preaching against the screens. And you know what? You know, there's a lot of trends and things that just, I, I don't like. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, you know. I mean, I, I just, I don't like it, okay? And I, I have a whole segment on my Spirit of Liberty broadcast that is designated to just ripping on stuff that I just don't like. Even if it's not unbiblical, it's not behind the pulpit, so I can do that. All right, <laughs> and that's what I—that's what I try to reserve it for. And we do. We 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 complain about these things all the time. You know, I know preachers—they complain about these cheap mics that guys are wearing, and there's other names for them. I, I won't say it here, but you know what? Is—is is that a sin? Absolutely not. A a absolutely not. Do I like it? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. But at the end of the day. Changing those things, it doesn't fix anything. What, what makes things right is our hearts being right with God. And when we do, when we put an un, when we put an overemphasis on those things, what ends up happening is you have conformists that come along and they think, if I just get rid of the cheap mics, if I just get a wooden pulpit, you know, if I if I you know if I do all these things, I'm gonna have a great church. You know, if I can just get my ladies in the church dressed in a certain way, we're going to be fine. You know, who cares if they're still nagging their husbands and, you know, won't submit to their husbands and all these other things could be 10 times worse. You know, we got these outward things down and it becomes all about that. And we never get to the heart of an issue. 
And you know, Jeremiah, he did, he named a lot of sins, very specific sins that was going on in Israel. But what it all came down to was they did not have a heart of love for God. When he starts out, he, he starts out saying, get back to where you used to be. Get, remember when you loved me? Remember, remember that time? That's what I want you to get back to. And that's, we've got to love for God is what's going to make the difference. We are not going to conjure up the Holy Spirit through a style of music, through a performance behind the pulpit, you know, through using tents, through, you know, for using sawdust and go down, we got to go down that sawdust trail. We got to get the right music. We got to get the right preacher in and he'll get the mood right and take us back to those old paths and we'll have the women screaming and the men running the aisles and the altars full. And you know, Dr. John Hamlin, he always says, nothing screams old time religion like a tent meeting. And it's just like, okay. I mean, I don't see that in tent meetings in the Bible. I mean, I guess they had the tabernacle in the Bible, but only the priests were allowed to go in there. You know, and it's like, you know, and I get what they're saying. He's saying that they want to go back to a, a time when things were different. But the thing is, it wasn't the sawdust that made the difference. It wasn't the tent that made the difference. It wasn't the style, you know, way the lady played on the piano. It wasn't none of that stuff. It was a love for God. That's what makes a difference. And so God is going to show up when there's two or three gathered in his name who truly love the Lord and want to be close to him. And what many churches need to do today is they need to take a step back and they need to ask for the old paths, meaning let's go back to doing things out of love for God with the right heart. What we need to do when we talk about going back to the old paths, we need to go back to loving God the way we used to. You know what we're saying? You know, like women sometimes, you know, oh, I wish it was the way it used to be, you know, back when we were dating or back when we were on our honeymoon, you know? And, and that's usually emotional stuff they're talking about there. All right, you know, guys, we don't care about that stuff. But at the same time, <laughs> hey, you know what God's saying too? You know, let's go back to that honeymoon period. Let's go back to when we, when they had when there was that love and that excitement. And there's no reason we shouldn't have that. Do you know more Bible now than when you got saved? If you know more Bible now than when you got saved, you know what? You should actually be more excited about your salvation. You know, most people when they get saved, they don't know that much about hell. They don't know that, you know, there's not a whole lot of doctrine. And folks, the more I learn about salvation, the more excited I get about my salvation. That's the way it needs to be. And the truth is, you know, if you're continued to learn and stay close to God, what you know, your love for God is going to grow. That's what needs to be happening. If your love for God is not growing, if you're just going through the motions every week, man, you got to fix that. You know what? You need to get back to the old paths. You know, and you might be out souling, you still need to get back to the old paths. You need to be doing it out of love for God. That's what will make the difference. That's what will change this church. This church, I'm looking at it, and you know, I, I see old paths. You know, you know an old paths church when you walk in versus the trendy church. You, you can spot it in five seconds, okay? This is an old paths church, okay? And culturally speaking. But here's the thing. Are you a Jeremiah 616? old past church. That's the important thing. You all get that down and you are, you're on, you're on an old path. that's older than Jack Hiles and, uh, you know, Lee Robertson and, uh, J Frank Norris. Amen. You know, you're, you're on an older path than all those guys. If you're doing that and, and 
you might mess some stuff up here or there. Your pastor might get a method wrong. You know, he might get a pulpit that has some glass in it. And you know what? You can still be used to God if you love the Lord like you're supposed to. And so get back to that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us, all of us, to stay on the old paths, Lord, and to just renew our uh, love for you. Lord, you've given us plenty of reasons to love you. And so, Lord, help us to show that love. Uh, by obeying your commandments and help us to just do things for the right reason. Help us not go through the motions, but help us to just do things motivated from a heart of love. In your name we pray. Amen.